Welcome to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. Yara is the global leader in crop nutrition knowledge and a producer of quality fertilizer products. Grow the future with Yara. Hello, and we welcome a new contributor to these podcasts, Phil Burrell, for a discussion about sugar beet and potatoes. Phil's a product manager for Yara Vita across Britain and Ireland, but came to that post after wider international experience, which, as we'll hear, puts him in an ideal position to explain Yara UK's position and present thinking on the use of biostimulants for those crops. We'll come to the biostimulants in a minute, Phil, but first, what's your impression on the two crops, potatoes and sugar beet, some of which have only been in the ground a few weeks? It's very apparent as, as you go around the country that that certainly if we take the sugar beet crop for, for a start, there, there are many different growth stages. Um, unfortunately, there is areas of East Anglia that have missed the rainfall and that's that's led to those crops being redrilled. Um, and there's other areas of the country. I've seen some 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 crops in Lincolnshire locally that are that are really romping through the growth stages now. The recent wet weather followed by some warm temperatures has seen those crops move on quite quickly. So it's going to be a very patchy, judging by the start these crops have had, some of, it's going to be a patchy uh, harvest. At this point in time, yes. Even within certain fields, you can see areas where the sugar beet crop has got six, eight, nine true leaves and other areas where there's only two true leaves. Um, judging by the, you know, the different soil types within those fields where areas have, have dried out more with the, with the lack of rainfall in April. Well, let's take a closer look then. Let's start with sugar beet first. One of the priorities I gather for growers who, let's, as you said, are in around East Anglia near the factories, is to get a full canopy of plants across the rows in time for the local county show. So what does that mean for their nutrition programme? Yeah, fundamentally, it's something that, that every sugar beet grower will understand that you aim to meet across the road by the time of the county show. Um, the science behind this is, is pretty much to... Um, to maximize canopy during the summer months so so all we're trying to do is get a full canopy as quick as we can so that that crop can then utilize the solar radiation throughout the the longer days and the summer months to to ultimately drive yield and and sugar content um, so nutrition has an important part to play um, in maintaining that healthy healthy canopy so if we take some of the nutrients in question we have things like like boron which is, is quite widely used on sugar beet. And if, if we get boron deficiency, um, the growing point can become dry, it then blackens and eventually it will die off. Uh, this is referred to as uh, heart rot, which most people will know. Um, other nutrients that help will be things like manganese, magnesium. This is all around just basically building a healthy canopy. Um, and that is all we're trying to do is maintain that healthy canopy um, and not limit growth so that when we do get to that full canopy, we have a full leaf that's that's photosynthesizing well and, and maximizing maximizing energy transfer from the sun into the root. And it also makes the plant more robust against all kinds of challenges, whether that be drought or flood, but in particular, thing, even things like pesticides. Yeah, 100%. You know, I mean, I always look at crop nutrition in the sense of um, us as human beings, if if we are healthy and we have the right vitamins, we're able to fight off disease and withstand stress better. Uh, a crop is no different, um, just like an animal. So so we can have an impact on that. And when we think of the sugar beet crop, um, and we think in particular of the um, the stress that that crop goes through, um, we have the weather conditions, and this year we've been very dry. If we look at last year, twenty twenty one. It was very dry and very cold. April, we had 
I think, 25 frosts recorded out of the 39th of April. Um, we also then have this, this issue with regular herbicide applications, and, um, and that can depend on what we're trying to achieve. If we have grass weeds we're trying to control, we have to leave gaps for herbicides, um, which then inherently will lead to bigger herbicide mixtures, which will put the crop under even more stress. So where does that fit in with nitrogen and phosphate, if you like, the key, key elements? I think the key elements with nitrogen phosphate are all about early establishment. Um, you know, historically, people would broadcast their fertilizer on the seedbed and, and work it in, and then they try and get their, um, their balance of their nitrogen on. Uh, if it's liquid fertilizer before the crop emerges um, or solid fertilizer, they have a little bit longer. The, the one area we're seeing, which I think has partly been driven by um, the, the, the rising fertilizer prices, but also learnings from other crops, is there now does seem to be a movement to look at placement of fertilizer on sugar beet, um, which we do on maize, we do on potatoes, we do on brassicas, we do when we're, when we're looking to start the all-seed rape crop. Um, and the theory of that is just basically placing that fertilizer in a band because the crop is grown in, in rows um, just to see if we can get uh, get more more efficient use out of the fertilizer. So, you know, all this work is ongoing currently. And I think it's it's people are looking at sugar beet differently now um, because they all know you, you need to be up towards that 100 tons a hectare for it to be a profitable crop. So. Coming to the biostimulants, where do they fit in? I've talked about these before, but mainly when discussing cereals. Can you remind us what they can do and, and then what they might offer sugar beet growers? Yeah, if we, if we look at biostimulants, they generally have three primary functions within a plant. They are to, to improve nutrient use efficiency, an increase in the plant's ability to, to withstand uh, abiotic stress, um, and then also product quality, which is more for the sort of fruit, veg, potato sector. So if we look at the sugar beet crop, you know, for me, it's improving the nutrient use efficiency. And that's all by having having a healthy plant. Um, but but the one thing that really interests me with the sugar beet crop is this sort of improved tolerance to abiotic stress. The stresses we've just spoken around in terms of the weather conditions, the herbicide applications, etc. Anything that gives that crop a hit, the biostimulants can help. Um, alleviate that the key thing is with any biostimulant we need to be on the crop before the stress hits you know that is fundamentally critical to 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 them performing and you've been doing some trials with local farmers we have yes uh, in my global role i saw some quite interesting data from the north of france which um yeah to, you know to some farmers um from lincolnshire down to to Suffolk is a long way, but however, if we look geographics and weather patterns, the North France is very similar to, to East Anglia. So I saw some good results on our biostimulant products on sugar beet over there, where we were getting sort of 5% yield increases. Um, so what we've done is we've taken those learnings from France and we're now starting to trial the, 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 the products we have, so Biotrack in particular, on, on sugar beet crops in the UK. So all we're asking growers to do is, is put some strips in fields and let's see what happens. It's uh, you know, we, we're looking to build our own data set from the UK. I mean, how are they applied? What's it, what do you see as a typical management program? Yeah, I mean, it's all obviously applied through a crop sprayer. You know, for me, with anything we do, we follow nutrition, whether it's a biostimulant product or a nutritional product, we need enough crop canopy to actually hit because it's going in through the leaf. That's why they are efficient. 
So for me, once we get to that four, minimum four, ideally six true leaf stage, we can look to apply the products. Um, and as I've said, with, with the biostimulant type products, um, I think the mistake people often make is they wait until the crop is extremely stressed and it's almost shut down. They then apply the products and expect them to work. And, you know, for me, that's almost like if we're lost in the desert uh, and, and we're really struggling through thirst, once we've run out of water and, and you know, unfortunately we have died, you know, Ken, you could give me as much water as, as I needed, but it's not going to bring me back to life. And the crop needs looking after the same. You know, if we can if we can start those applications early enough, we can have this impact. So for us, we would look to apply them around that sort of six true leaf stage of the crop. That's when we would start our applications. Because they don't work like fertilizer, as it were, where you add a nutrient and the plant immediately responds. You're building in a kind of resilience. You're building in a kind of biosecurity, as it were. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's where there's a lot of... Um, fear and doubt I suppose you know around the biostimulants because there's a lot of noise around biostimulants but are they consistent and you know ourselves as Yara have been very successful with our nutritional products because we you know we firmly believe we give the best advice available um, that's how we've we've you know we've become what we've become and our brand is so trusted um, which for me is why we are almost I suppose late to the party with biostimulants but my view is we're trying to prove they work so we can give give farmers and agronomists the best advice on when to place them so so we're almost just starting our journey with biostimulants um you know i think it's fair to say that's where we're at and 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 part of my role coming back to the uk is to drive that biostimulant business forward but we've got to do it technically right so we've selected certain crops and that's what we're aiming to do with with the trials that we're, we're setting up particular products in mind uh yeah i mean for, for the sugar beet and potato crop we've looked at uh, biotrack which is a seaweed extract product um, we have other products that we're currently trialing in cereals in oilseed rape uh, and, in, and in fruit and vegetables so um yeah there'll be more to say on those once we've had a year of, of gaining some 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 results back in well, that that's sugar beet for the moment. Let's move on. You've mentioned potatoes. Nutrition for them is pretty well understood, be it ware or seed. But your advice uh, this particular year is what? Yeah, I think, again, if we look at the potato crops, they're ranging from, you know, in the southwest, the earlier planted crops are, are at full canopy now, um, to the crops up, up around me in Lincolnshire and Yorkshire. You know, so, some are just nicely out the ground. Um, when we think of the nutrition, the primary nutrition has been done in the seedbed. We, we then come back to the sort of foliar nutrition and what we, we're going to do. Um, and you said historically it's quite quite well uh, understood that the, the key product for us would, would be phosphorus and foliar phosphorus in particular. You know, again, how many people have actually reduced their seabed fertilizer based on, on the cost? The key thing with a potato crop is, you know, it will, it will need large amounts of, of phosphorus if we want to improve you know, our tuber number and then tuber bulking. An efficient way of that would be through the use of foliar phosphorus. Um, you know, if, if and what we need to do is look at what is our crop target. If we're on a seed crop or a salad crop, ultimately we're trying to maximize tuber numbers. So then we apply our foliar phosphorus around tuber initiation. That's what gives us that, uh, that extra, extra amount of tubers uh, per plant. 
if we think more where or pre-packed potatoes, we're then looking at tuber size and tuber bulking. We then apply our follow phosphorus um, once the crop is starting to bulk up. Um, and the benefit with the foliar phosphorus type products is we can actually we can actually mix them in with our with our blight sprays. But one of the things I think you're particularly concerned about is is rejections quality. You know, if we can improve the quality of more of the crop, then there's fewer rejections and that maximizes income. One hundred percent. And this when we go back to the biostimulants, if we think of the third pillar of the, what the biostimulants does, this improvement in qu crop quality that is fundamentally what we're trying to achieve with the potato crop. We want, we want the right yield of the right quality. That is critical. And this is where, where biostimulants, again, I think can have an impact. I've seen, I've seen good results from, again, relatively local markets, Holland and Belgium, where the biostimulants can help. You know, yes, they will have an impact on stress, but, but the key thing I've seen with potatoes is when we've actually gone out in the field on these trials and we've dug the potatoes up and we've washed the potatoes and we've then measured the potatoes, we've got better skin finish, we've got better tuber uniformity, uh, and ultimately we've got a bigger yield in, in the correct size category, which, which is which is what the grower is aiming for. So Marketable yield. Marketable yield, that's what it all comes down to with potatoes. Is there any difference in the general advice on application or products for, for potatoes? No, not not particularly. No, they're, they're still applied through the, through the crop sprayer. Again, for me, if I'm looking at applying a biostimulant on potatoes, um, once we've got a full canopy, maybe maybe three weeks after full canopy uh, emergence, we would start and then we would look to do another application uh, 21 days, three weeks after that. Um, the, key, the key with 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 all of our products is they are widely tank mixable. I would always point farmers and uh, an agronomist to our tank mix service, which is available um, via the app and and via the tank mix website, um, just to, just to check that phys physical compatibility. But you know we know in 99% of cases they are compatible, which makes for convenient use for 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 the farmer because they don't want to be making multiple passes with the crop sprayer. You mentioned you've got farmers involved with trials. Do you need more? I will never turn down anybody that wants to look at our products. You know, for me, the more real life farmer experience we can get, the better. So if there is any potato growers out there who are interested in looking at biostimulants, contact your local Yarra area manager. You know, we can provide you with some with, with some product, you know, fr free of charge on the basis that we can then visit those fields and we can get um, that data back, you know, for us, it's, you know, it's key to build that data set, you know, so, so, you know, I, I would welcome the opportunity to, to go out in fields in the summer um, and do test digs and, and wash potatoes up, get a fork out, get our hands dirty. And, and yeah, let, let's start building some good UK data on biostimulant performance. And you can be accessed through the website. You can, if you if you don't know who your local area manager is, you know, contact myself as the Yara Vita product manager, and uh, and yeah, you know, we will you know, we are more than happy to to work with growers, um, to you know to place our biostimulant products. You know, let's see how they work in our UK conditions, and let's build a solid data set to work on. We've covered quite a bit in this podcast, Phil. What would you say have been the key messages? Uh, for me. The fundamentals of general crop nutrition, let's not forget about it. You know, the key nutrients for the various crops, so the, 
you know, the, the sugar beet crop. Let's think about the boron, the magnesium, uh, the manganese. Uh, for the potatoes, you know, let, let's remember this foliar P. What does it do? Foliar phosphorus can improve your tuber numbers and ultimately your tuber yield. But don't dismiss biostimulants. You know, they have a place. Um, the thing with the biostimulants is if, if you're going to use them for stress, you need to get them on early enough. And we, we spoke about that with sugar beet. If you are a potato grower and you want to maximize quality, they really do have a place. It's about improving that quality. So don't don't dismiss them. Um, and when we think about the one fundamental of improving nutrient use efficiency. Has there ever been more an important time to do that? Probably not. Um, it's always been very important, but it's definitely come to the top of everyone's discussion currently. So. So that's my key advice. And, and ultimately, if I if I get people to take away one thing, whatever the crop is, treat it like an animal, treat it like a human being. You keep that crop healthy. It will build its natural defense and it will perform. Phil Burrell, thanks for that advice, insight and international perspective. Obviously, biostimulants are going to feature rather more in the future thinking of some farmers and agronomists in UK and Ireland in future. The next podcast will be of interest to graziers as we talk silage, mixed species swords and other things grass. So join me, Ken Rundle, for that in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks for listening to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. For more information, visit yara.co.uk or yara.ie.